Luke 7 today, if you'd turn there with me, we're going to continue our look at the miracles of Jesus. And I really felt like this miracle in particular really spoke to the situation that many of you find yourself in. And I want you this morning to find hope. I want you to find the mercy of God. I want you to find some strength to be able to continue on, no matter what's going on. You And we need to also thank God for protecting life and protecting people during this storm. And uh, sometimes we, we, look at, we look at what we lost, but if I could get you to look at what you still have, then it's a victory. Amen? Because as long as you've got breath in your lungs and you've got some good Bible-believing Christian people alongside you, you're going to make it through this morning. But Luke gives us details in his gospel. And Luke is uh, the first volume of a one book. Acts and Luke are actually one book. I don't know if you knew that or not, but Luke Luke is a physician who basically went around and interviewed the people as he was writing his gospel, and he paints a picture of Jesus that is absolutely beautiful. And as we've gone through this series of looking at the miracles of Jesus, as I've mentioned this every single time I've talked about his miracles over the last few weeks, is they're called signs and wonders. And just much like there's a sign over that door right there that points you in the direction of where you're supposed to go, in this case, in case of an emergency, you can see a red exit sign and be able to get outside and get safe. In the same way, the Gospels and the miracles of Jesus that were recorded are called signs because they point us towards something. And what they point us towards is who God is. And I love Luke because Luke really, he, he adds in details to his, his, his stories and the things that he wrote down as an eyewitness and interviewing eyewitnesses of people that walked with Jesus directly. And really, truly, this story is about a widow at a place called Nain. We don't know her name. Luke was very detailed, so if he would have known her name, I think he would have put it in there. But she was more known by her condition and what she was going through than she was her name. And here, the reason that this came up in my mind the last couple of days is I've been focused on, on, of course, cleaning and helping. But as I focused on Sunday, and Lord, what, just like my sister just said, Lord, what do you want me to say to the people? What, what do you want me to share with them? And I think as we go throughout life, it's really hard sometimes to pinpoint where God is intervening in our life. Anybody else? Where, in other words, it's sometimes hard to pinpoint where God is exactly working, right? So we go throughout life and we read a story like we're going to read in Luke 7 today. And I want it to be a reminder that your God will show up for you at the time that you have need of. And he shows up at the right time, right place with a miracle recipe that is custom made for you to be able to grow and to be able to understand who God is. And I often think of this woman in the New Testament um, when I'm going through something, because even though she was known for a condition and known for where she lived, she was somebody that we can look at and understand that as Jesus intercepts this burial process in Luke 7, as he, he comes to a funeral with, with a crowd following him that was probably very excited and they were very upbeat because they had begun to see Jesus do miracles of open blind eyes and heal the lame and, and people getting touched by him and all the things that says he went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And as he's going around doing these things, he had large 
large, excited crowds that would have gone with them. And we see this crowd of excitement and wondering what that day held for them as they woke up. And Jesus comes and he says, hey, we're going somewhere else. And they just followed him. And it, there's an there's a intersection of a crowd that was grieving and a crowd that was very excited and probably celebrating. And I want to look at that today. If you would look here in Luke 7, if you would jump down to verse 11 today, the reading of God's word. Soon afterwards, and some of your translations say the next day, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd. You ever notice as we've studied these, there's always a crowd, amen? I don't want to be in the crowd, I want to be close to him this morning, amen? They went along with him, and as he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. So you had one large crowd following Jesus. You had one large crowd following a person who was on a funeral bier. They were carrying them. They were going to perform the, the, the funeral service. And a large crowd went with her. When the Lord saw her, are you thankful this morning the Lord sees us? His heart went out to her and he said, don't cry. Now stop there and I just want to just talk to you for a minute. There is a word in the Bible, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce it because it's splagmizeno, and I'm not a Greek scholar, but I've heard that word uh, many times when it's associated with the miracles of Jesus. And when, there's so, when that word is associated with the miracles of Jesus, I think we miss sometimes of many miracles that Jesus did was because he had an inner compassion that was so down deep in his heart that he, it just, in other words, when Jesus didn't just see needs, Jesus was moved by needs. Amen? Jesus didn't just see this situation and walk on by, but Jesus had something so deep down on the inside. And the last part we read there was don't cry. I would never walk up to a casket and look at the people grieving and say, you know what, don't cry about this, right? You'd get arrested by the funeral police. Let's just be honest. That's what would happen. You don't do that. But the only person that can say to us, don't cry this morning, is the one who knows our future and the one who knows what he has around the corner. Jesus is really truly the only one that can show up at a funeral and say, hey, don't cry because I'm a miracle worker. I am the I am the bread of life. I am the one who can raise the dead even though something looks like it's dead in your life. You serve a God when he shows up. He brings resurrection life into the situation, church. Because that's who he is. He says, don't cry. Verse 14, then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on. And the bears stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. I heard one scholar say one time as I was reading some commentaries on this passage of scripture that if he wouldn't have designated this man, then everybody dead would have rose up in that moment. And I believe it with all my heart. He had to specify. That's why he said, Lazarus, come forth. Because if he said, come forth, they, the graves would have opened in that moment. That's how much power your God has. That's how much anointing that he carried being filled with the Holy Ghost. Young man, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. Verse 16, they were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. And that's the title of my message this morning. 
said it to you before, and I'll say it a million more times. When you're walking through difficulties, when you're walking through a flooded house, when you're walking through all the chaos sometimes that life can bring, again, it's hard sometimes to pinpoint where God is working in your life. And in this story, there's some things I want to lay out this morning that I believe will help us in any situation that you're in. This news about Jesus spread throughout the Judea and the surrounding country. Father, for these next few minutes and moments as we study your word this morning, I pray that the precious Holy Spirit would anoint and help me. I ask for the helper this morning, Lord, as I'm even physically tired in my own body. I just pray today that you would give me a supernatural ability to speak to the hearts of these people, God, your people. Lord, may we come like little children in this moment and just ask for something from the master's table. And Jesus, we know that you're always so good to set a table in the presence of our enemies, God. Let the anointing come into this room and let it settle upon the hearts of the people. And may the seed that goes forth grow 100-fold fruit of encouragement and blessing in each life today. God, may you reveal who you are to us by the Holy Spirit. Amen? Amen. Jesus has come to help his people. The encouragement this morning is that life can be unpredictable. Does anybody else agree with that? It can... They're saying that the rug can get snatched out from under us at a very quick moment. Things can change in a very quick moment. And I didn't plan on saying this but because I've mentioned it many times, but I also understand we have quite a few new people. But in 2016, my wife and I, very unexpectedly, because uh, a system moved over Louisiana and just sat there for about three days. And it was supposed to move, but it just stayed. And and uh, kind of like uh, the in-laws come into town sometimes and they just stay, right? It just... <laughs> Like, when, when, when is this over? And it just sat there. And for, for 72 hours, it dumped between 28 to 36 inches of rain in three days. And that rain didn't have anywhere to go. So we thought we were out of the woods. I had opened up a shelter at the church that I was on staff at. And we were getting truckloads of people that were getting rescued from north of us. It was already three to four to five feet in people's homes. And they were... At that time, even getting people off of roofs again and putting them in the back of National Guard deuce and a half, and they would pull up, and I'd welcome them out and help people get their stuff out and usher them into the fellowship hall. And so we understand in a very profound way what it means to, 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 have, a, to have a home, and then 20, within 12 hours, your home's gone. We understand what it's like to be walking down the road and everything's going good and all of a sudden just things start going bad. And life will do that at times. But in this scripture, the first thing I want to point out this morning is that God has come to help his people. And when he comes to help his people, he the ones who don't need help are filled with him. And we get to go out into the community and get to go out into the highways and byways and be able to help other people. And I, did, I wasn't brought up in church. Some of you know my testimony, but many of you don't. I didn't start attending church until I was 24 years old. I mean, we weren't bad people. We were just really busy people, I look back and understand. I mean, we weren't like holding seances in the living room and all that kind of stuff, y'all. We just, we weren't bad. We were just busy. It wasn't a priority. My fa- grandfather was a pastor for 43 years. So when he was in town, or especially Easter and Christmas time, we certainly got up and went to church. But I never came in. And had somebody wake me up on a Sunday morning and say, get up, we're going to church. So my understanding of God was very messed up when I got saved. It really was. I had heard a lot of things about who God was, like you mess up and he gonna, he's going to pounce on you, right? 
you, you don't do this, but, you know, I'd heard these things about God in my own, because we always have a well-meaning aunt, uncle, or grandma that tells us all these things about who God is, and none of them are true. Because I had no concept. When I started to read passages like Luke 7, after giving my heart to the Lord at 23 years old, and, and I read things like that, and I'm just like, God came to help his people? That, the most important thing about you this morning is what you believe about God, because what you believe about God is how you live your life. And I had a completely skewed understanding of who God is. And as we've studied these miracles, church, and we've looked at them in a deep way, what it's supposed to do is show us who the Father is. Because in this story we just read, it was a place called Nain. Everybody say Nain. And it was a widow who was in a situation that was very dire. Because the people who were in the crowd that were following her that day, as two crowds came and intersected, The two crowds were very much different because as we open the story, we begin to see and understand that we don't see Jesus gathering everybody, his disciples and those who were excited. And, you know, anytime Jesus went on the move, everybody's like, hey, he's he's going, let's go see what he does today. They were excited. He's, hey, yesterday he opened blind eyes, he healed a paralytic man, he did this, he raised it, all these things. They were excited. And where's, where are we going to go today? And we don't see in the, in the scripture that Jesus received an email, a text. A smoke signal? A carrier pigeon? There's nothing. And in these miracles, as I pointed out last week, and I'll say again today, Jesus only did what the Father led him to do. So we understand that Jesus probably went off to, like he did all the time, to he separated himself to a place where he could commune in the secret place with his heavenly Father. And, And here's the thing. A widow at Nain, in their culture, Old Testament culture, what they believed about God, and you can read the book of Job for yourself, was that if you've lost your husband, and now you've lost the son that was going to take care of you as the mom and the, the, the widow, then you're under God's judgment. What did you do? People ask Jesus that all the time. Hey, who's, who's the bigger sinner? The people the tower fell on or these people over here that got their house flooded? Can I tell you something this morning? It rains on the just and the unjust. It's, it's difficult on people. Lee and I say this all the time. We look at each other and we're like, what do people do without Jesus? What do they do without the family of God? I mentioned flooding before and, and Lee and I went back into the house and it was, it was about 24 hours before the water went down enough where we could get in. And I was the first one to go in. I was still walking through water in my house that in one part was about a foot. And the rest of the floors had just water on them. It had gone out. And uh, Leah had been rescued by my nephew in the sheriff's department who was driving a Humvee. And they put her in the back. And those were some of the most t- 20, 20 terrifying minutes that I'm at the church and she's a couple miles away. And all she says is, is coming in the house and we don't know what to do. And luckily, God sent my nephew and a, and a Humvee, loaded my entire neighborhood up in the back. And bless her heart, she left my dog in the house. Yeah, yeah. And I love dogs, you know that. Bless his little heart. He, he found a floating mat and got up on it and floated in that water. And just so we found him and rescued him. I'm in the house. And the thing that really broke my heart, for those of you who have lost things over this last week, when I got underneath the bed, it happened so fast. We weren't expecting this. The water receded two feet and then came back with a vengeance, flooded the church, and I could tell you stories. But I pulled out my, I pulled out my, uh, my uh, wedding pictures that had gotten completely waterlogged. And I've done that. We've done that over the last few days, picking up scrapbooks and picking up things that mean something to people. 
And really in this story, what we see is Jesus didn't get an email, he didn't get a text, he didn't get a smoke signal. What God wanted Jesus to do was to go to a place that nobody went to, to intersect at a place where two crowds were coming together because he wanted to show the heart of his heavenly father. Now, Nain is a place from where Jesus was and stationed in Capernaum. Nain was a place that would have been about 25 miles away. So as this crowd is excited and like, hey, we're probably going back into Capernaum. Maybe we'll go to Jerusalem. Maybe we'll go here. Maybe we'll go there. And Jesus starts to walk. And the average person can walk about three miles per hour. So 25 miles means that where they were going was eight hours of very brisk, hard walking from the place that Jesus was to the place where he knew somebody needed him. Can I tell you something this morning? God sees, God knows, and God is on the way. Amen. Amen. He goes 25 miles, and I can imagine the crowd kind of walking with him, and they're looking and thinking, ah, kind of getting far out here. In other words, Nain was a place that nobody else went. Nain is in the middle of nowhere. You didn't go to Nain for no reason. And I don't know if you've, uh, you've been to a city where there's, that's, that's not on the way to anywhere. I don't know if you guys have ever experienced that or not. <laughs> Come on, y'all. <laughs> We live in a place that's not on the way to anywhere. They call it the forgotten coast. But my point this morning is God does not forget anybody. God does not overlook anyone that may seem like they're out of the way. God sends help. God sends his people. God helps his people. Eight hours, 50,000 steps for one widow who had lost her husband. She, she lost her husband probably a few months before. So again, that would have been her livelihood. They, culturally, they would, he would have been the one bringing in the food and bringing in the, the money for them to exist. And there, he gets up and he says, we're going to Nain. Now, Nain is in the middle of nowhere. No one informs him. No one says anything. Nobody knows where they're going. But can I tell you, and this is amazing when you think about it. When Jesus wakes up and he gets with the Father, Jesus knows every single thing that's happening in every single person's heart in that moment. Think about that. That's the amazing God that you serve today. He knows. He understands. So there's a miracle that's waiting in a lady who was lonely, a miracle who was waiting in a lady who was isolated. So Jesus plans a meeting, and he knows the exact timing to leave Capernaum He knows exactly where to be at the right moment. And I love how he takes this journey of compassion that we see here. And you can see it. Like I mentioned, there's two crowds. One crowd is following Jesus. They're excited. They're wondering what he's going to do next. And and then blind eyes are open. And then he meets another crowd who isn't following a savior, but they're following a casket. There's two sons. This would have been... Very important in the story that Luke's recording because not only are there two crowds, but there's two sons. There's a son that has been laid on a funeral bier that they're taking on to to bury. And there's another son that shows up in that moment that he is the Lord of life, church. He is the God of miracle working power, church. He is a God who knows where we are, who understands where we are, and can help us where we are. And there's really two miracles here. Understand the widow... 
As a widow, she would have been taken care of by the son. This would have been devastating. And when you think about this, she had experienced death twice in a very short period of time. She's buried a husband, and now she's going to the same place that she had buried her husband, and now she's going to bury her son outside of town. Perhaps a cave where she had buried, in other words, she had buried all her hopes, she had buried all her dreams, she had buried her way of living, and now she's going back to that same place to bury her son, who is now her hopes and now her dreams and now the one that she would. And, and what I, what, when I was praying about this, what I see when Jesus shows up, and this, notice this, and I think this is prophetic for our church and what God's doing right now in our community, okay? There is another generation, we talked about this a few weeks ago, when, when the woman with the issue of blood touched Jesus' garment. He was going to, and, and it says in there very plainly that the man who came, the, the, the synagogue ruler, the, the priest, the, the, the person who was in charge of the synagogue, in other words, a religious leader, falls at the feet of Jesus and he says, my only child is about to die. And there's something prophetically in there that church, and I've been talking about this a lot lately, we need to make sure that the next generation of, of spirit-filled believers don't die. Come on. And I was so encouraged. I was talking to my friends from Louisiana. We took them out to eat here at Pizza Hut last night. It really treated them good for coming all that way. Yeah. They're like, Pizza Hut? Really? I'm like, yeah, let's just go right here. And we're sitting there talking, and one of my good friends, Josh, I've worked in ministry with him for a lot of years. I, I, in a way, kind of mentored him for a long time because he was just coming into ministry, and I was on staff at the church, and he would come to me with different questions and things. And I'm just so so awesome to see what God's doing in his life these last few years where we <laughs> haven't lost touch completely, but kind of lost touch. And he, I said, well, what are you up to now, man? And he said, well, you know, we got involved in a program in Louisiana that kids that are really on that borderline of maybe not finishing school and they're going out and doing things they shouldn't, they have a program in Louisiana where they put them in the program, but they have a requirement. you got to go to church once a week. You have to. I'm moving to Louisiana, y'all. Come on. <laughs> And he said, you know, the last year and a half, he said, I've been doing this for a year and a half. He said, the last year and a half, you can just, you can tell when you walk in the room, I have to be here, right? And they separate the boys and the girls. They have the the girls doing their own service and the boys doing their service. And he said, this is the first time I've been doing it when I see God moving on these kids. He said, they're doing their own Bible studies. They come in excited. And I said, Josh, that's the same thing that's going on in our local high school. In other words, there is a generation that we see as dead on a funeral bier. But when the Lord of life comes up, because you had a son that was dead, and he was the future of this woman's family. He was the future of the next generation. And in the story of the woman with the issue of blood, that my only child is going to die. The The times that Jesus came and showed resurrection power and the miracles was when there was going to be a generation lost. And we've been crying out for revival for ourselves. And I think God says, I love you and I'll send you a refreshing, but I'm going to revive that generation because what looked dead is not dead when the Lord of life shows up. Because there were two sons there. There was one that was dead and there was not going to be a future generation. But when the son of life shows up and the son of resurrection power shows up, church, everything changes. And that's what we need in our generation that's coming. That's what we need is Jesus to show up and say, Young man, get up off of your bed of addiction. Get up off of your bed of not following me because I want to use you to shake a world, church. Thank you, guys. You guys can come back anytime. 
It gives me so much hope because if God can come to help his people, if God will come to help a widow that's eight hours walking distance away, he will surely come and help you. I'm looking at some of you that you don't know how you're going to figure this thing out. It seems like such a mess. I want to encourage you today. Keep a hold of Jesus. Keep a hold of your faith. And this was a, this was a funeral. This was, again, don't cry. Don't cry. I've lost everything. I've lost my, my husband. I've lost my son. I remember my first funeral. I had done a couple of weddings. I had just gone on staff at the church at Revival Temple there. And I had never done a funeral before, y'all. And I wasn't given any tips on how to do one. <laughs> I like to throw, my pastor liked to throw us in the deep end of the pool. Amen? Amen? And what happened is we had already had a couple of funerals. The, the, the care pastor was doing one. Pastor West was doing one. And we had one of the elders of the church daughter showed up. And her best friend was 32 years old and passed away in her sleep. She had a 13-year-old and she had a 6-year-old. She had a husband. And so the first time I met any of this family was me. The only thing I knew to do was put my best suit on and a tie. I will wear a tie at the funerals. Amen? I promise you. So I put my best tie on and put my best suit on. And I didn't even know where Zachary, Louisiana was. I had to ask Leah, Leah, where's Zachary? Zachary was much like a place like Nain. It was a little bit forgotten. Not a lot of people knew how to get there. And it was way out in the country in Louisiana, about an hour away. And Pastor West comes to me and says, Jason, this family's in need. And I'm going to ask you to go do this funeral service. Maybe it was pride or something. But I'm like, I'm not going to tell him I've never done this before. I'm just going to figure it out. Amen. So I got with the Holy Ghost. That's the most important thing you can do. So I just went and got with the Lord. And I put my best suit on. Walked in the funeral home doors. The desk was right here on the right, and I stood there, and I said, I'm the minister for this service. She said, welcome, Pastor Hanks and, and the, the family. And I mentioned, I said, I have not yet met the family. It was a couple hours before the funeral service. They didn't have anything the night before. They were doing all this at once. It was, this was such a devastating, shocking moment. And I imagine it had to have been like this widow to lose her son in his 20s, the one that was going to be the future generation, the one that was going to be there to take care of her, the one that was going to be the one to be with her throughout her years. And I looked over and I saw the husband, and when I went to introduce myself to him, and all I got out was, I'm the pastor. And he threw himself on my chest and cried for about 10 minutes to the point where now my jacket is fully wet, <laughs> never done a funeral. And this, this was a young lady. The six-year-old had actually found the mom in the morning before everybody was up. So she had a 13-year-old daughter, she had a 6-year-old daughter, and as I went in, 32 years old, pretty well known in this community, so I looked down at the chapel that held about 100 people, and there was already 100 people inside of there. They had to open the back windows for about 50, 75 more people. My point is, my first funeral was a difficult one. And as I walked into the room, and I, I, didn't even know, I didn't even know where to sit. There was a 91-year-old funeral director that I had been talking to, and he had been helping me a little bit. But I went and sat on the front row. And he came to me and said, Pastor, your seat's up there. And it was this big, ornate seat up in the corner with a lectern and a pulpit here at the side. So I'm describing this scene because I'm sitting there, and I'm absolutely terrified. Room is full of people. Jesus shows up at a crowd that's grieving, Right? And actually, the person who was her best friend was supposed to give the eulogy and say some words. 
And as I took my seat up here, she took her seat where I was sitting, and she was so overcome with grief, she passes out. And the 91-year-old funeral director had smelling salts. Who carries smelling salts, y'all? It was like, boom. Like. So I'm sitting in the chair, and I'm looking over the lectern, right over to the top of the casket. I'll never forget this as long as I live. The father, the two daughters were sitting here, and the two daughters had hugged themselves up with each other and were absolutely weeping. The, the husband had put his, his hands in his face and was leaning over. And I said, Lord, what I have in my hand to say to these people is not going to cut it because everybody has the same question right now in this moment. Where is God? And the Holy Spirit said, put your notes aside. So I had two choices. I could either follow the Holy Spirit or I could pretend to pass out. (laughs) And I wouldn't about let the 91-year-old funeral director hit me with the smelling salts, y'all. I'm like, I I got to do this. And the scripture came into my heart of Luke 7. God has come to help his people. And look, I preached the gospel and there were people outside. It was getting hot in there. And I preached the gospel and I saw people come to faith in Jesus Christ. Because, listen to me, I couldn't give... My job is not to answer those questions because I don't have the answers of why your house might have got flooded. I don't have the answers of why it went through where it did. I don't have those answers. But I do know my God and His miracles are signs of who God is. And God is a God that shows up at our most difficult, darkest. The whole family gave their lives to the Lord. And I kept in touch with that man through the years and helping him and got him plugged into a good church. So what the enemy meant for evil, God always turns for good. But what crowd are you in today? Are you in the crowd that's still grieving even though we serve a God who has resurrection power? Because Jesus is the resurrection and the life. He is a very present help in time of trouble. He is our hope in this world. And guess what? He's our hope on the other side too this morning. Jesus is mine and your everything. And listen, as long as He is your everything, then it doesn't matter in a material way what you lose because you'll never lose Him as long as you stay with Him. God has come to help His people. In the worst days and the worst moments, I mentioned the flood that we went through. I, I hadn't changed. I'd been, the church flooded and I was running an evacuation shelter that we had to keep moving people to higher ground. The brand new building ended up getting a foot of water and then we had to actually move people off the floor of that and up onto the risers and special needs patients up onto the top. So I had waited out in the morning to go get water for baby formula through, through higher than waist deep water. So I was wet, I was tired, I was upset because I lost everything in my house, I hadn't been to my house yet. Still wet, I'm driving the church van. This is like 12, 14 hours later, I'm just running around trying to figure out how I could get to my house, all those kind of things. Can I tell you how intimately God knows us? I didn't have any clothes to, to change into. I lost everything. We lost two cars. Thought I lost my dog Skip. Thank the Lord he survived. <laughs> Rescued him. And I pull into the church, and there's two cars back by the new sanctuary. There's a van, and there's a car, and then our, one of our youth leaders was pulled up. 
And I, know, I recognized him as I got closer, and it was a church down in Chalmette, Louisiana. Now, when Katrina hit Chalmette, our church rallied, and we went down there, and we gutted homes. Y'all, when you talk about three foot of mud in a house, you talk about gutting homes. It was rough. But we went down, and we helped them, so we be, formed a relationship with them. That church, when they heard of what happened there, where we were, it didn't affect them at all down there near New Orleans. When they, and, and here was the funny thing. I didn't have any clothes, and my shoes were sopping wet. And I hop out of the car, and I said, Brother, it's good to see you. Thank you so much for coming. He said, Man, we've been through it. We went to Walmart, and we just started buying stuff. And I said, Yeah. I said, I need to change. I said, My socks and my shoes are wet. And he had a pair of shoes in his hand. He said, Well, what size do you wear? I said, 10. And he went, Put them in my hand. You think that that's so insignificant and small, but listen to me. God knows where you... He knew where this widow woman was. He knew, but here's the thing. God knowing is one thing. God caring enough to walk eight miles. And Jesus the whole time is just showing and saying, this is who your heaven... I know you heard it said, but let me say. Because Jesus is the best. Amen? He's above completely anything that we can ask or think. We have it all figured out of who God is. And let me tell you, He's a good God because He came to help His people. Simply means God came a long way for one very powerful reason, to share in the caring and bearing and sharing of sins, suffering, struggles, and sorrows. So we look at our name, whatever place in your life that's barren, that's out of the way, that maybe even you've hidden away or whatever it may be. God knows how to find us. Amen? Aren't you thankful God knows how to find you? He knows your address. You may not have it all figured out yet, but God knows our address. So number one this morning, and these are all S's and and it'll be familiar. I see sorrow. Everybody say sorrow. sorrow. But here's what I see. Jesus doesn't avoid our sorrows. Jesus comes right in the middle of our sorrows. Yeah. Right in the middle of the difficulty. Have you heard the expression, walk a mile in their shoes? Yeah. That's literally what Jesus comes along. You don't know what somebody's walking through till you've walked a mile in their shoes. Yeah. In church, everybody that you're going to come in contact with, in some form or fashion, has been affected by what's happened right here. So you're going to encounter sorrow. You're going to encounter people who were probably in a bad place even before that, and they're in a much worse place now. But I want to tell you, through the church, through his body, through the spirit-filled ecclesia, the the called-out people of God, we can be those who give hope. Amen? Listen, true compassion is when I take your pain and put it in my heart and I walk it out with you. That's what true compassion is. And Jesus saw that widow, he saw that situation, and listen, he took that pain into his heart, and he gave back healing and help. So my point is, do not ever believe that you're all alone in the sorrow and difficulty, because Jesus shows up, and listen, what Jesus did was draw on his own well of compassion and love and mercy to do a great miracle for this woman who had lost everything. There's nothing like having a true compassionate friend, amen? You only appreciate the compassionate ones when you have to spend time with the complaining ones, right? Anybody got any of those? Don't raise your hand because they might be sitting on the row. But there's nothing like a truly compassionate person. The reason that we're doing what we're doing here at this church to go out all over, not just here. We, Like I said, we've got people working and we'll continue to work this whole area As you may think just a box of food handed to somebody that's sweating and gutting out their house doesn't mean anything. Let me tell you from first experience, it does. Here's what it meant. It meant somebody cared enough 
to put this together and to be able to hand it to us and for me to be able to take it inside, keep working on my house, keep working on the church, whatever it might have been, and just somebody cared. So I see sorrow in this, but I also see a God who shows up in the midst of our sorrows. Number two, I see sympathy. Everybody say sympathy. I love how Jesus simply had sympathy. And it's not sympathy like, like we do in the South. Oh, bless your heart, right? It's not that sympathy. Sympathy is I'm here for you and I got you, right? That's it. Sympathy is just, hey, I'm here. And when I've walked through people with grief, you won't hear me even say a lot. When I, if I'm in that situation with you, you won't hear me say a lot. I'm just present because sometimes we just need somebody to be present in our difficulty. Somebody just walk with us. So Jesus is like, when everybody else is walking out, I plan on walking in. When everybody else has left me, the church shows up. Amen? The church is built for such times like this. And if you think that they're not going to continue, there's a shaking going on in the earth. There is a fire going on in there. There's, there's things that are being shaken. So the things that, 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 that remain are those things that are eternal, the Bible says. So sorrow, sympathy, and I see the supernatural. Lapita, if you'd come this morning. Who believes we serve a supernatural God? Amen. Amen. I believe in the supernatural power of God, church, because I have experienced the supernatural power of God. I've experienced it in my marriage, in my, in my family, and the people around me. I've said this before, but don't miss it. We aren't even sure. The woman, if you notice, we don't see her speaking or conversing with Jesus. There's nothing even said. We don't, in other words, we don't see her begging. We don't see her crying. She doesn't grab him all worried and like, you've got to do something. Listen, this, this miracle came from a deep well of God's supernatural power. Jesus takes that miracle out of his own well of compassion. Listen, what it is, is the situation that you're facing today is this. You have something going on. And again, it's not just about flood this morning. It's about a sick family member. It's about a wayward kid. It's about something that you just look at yourself all the time and say, I don't know what to do about this. And can I tell you something? God has the recipe for your miracle. Are you hearing me this morning? Leah was going to cook something there during the hurricane. Some some strawberry cheesecake. A brother needed some strawberry cheesecake during the hurricane. Come on, somebody. She couldn't find the, the filling, right? So I went to McDonald's and got a shake. <laughs> but Leah's gone in and tried to make things before, and I have tried. Has anybody tried to make something without a recipe? I have. Just doesn't quite turn out right. Because you have to follow the recipe. When I say that God is a supernatural God, it means it's above the natural. Supernatural. And the recipe that some of you have been missing, the part of the recipe that some of you have been missing, that really is going to kick what you have need of this morning over the top, is the supernatural power of God. Look, church, we can come along, if you're in a situation, we can come along with, with sympathy and sorrow and support and show up. But I believe that we serve a supernatural God that can heal, that can deliver, that can save, that can set free. That's who we serve. Because we serve not a God that just shows up in the midst of our sorrow and sympathizes with us. And he does. That's good to know. And he usually does that through the people of God. But we also need to understand we have a supernatural God. 
I want to tell you, Jesus still has a recipe for your miracle. Ingredients are coming together. The timing is coming together. That perfect point in time where one crowd met the other crowd. And this one, he met the, the Lord of life. Nain, we look at it and we say, wow, small place in the middle of nowhere. They didn't have livestock there. They didn't grow. Matter of fact, you went to Nain because you were trying to get away from something usually. You were running from uh, consequences of breaking the law. It was a tough, rough place. But you know what Nain actually means in the Greek, the word? Beautiful. You mean the little out-of-the-way place that nobody else thinks about? The little out-of-the-way the place that everybody's forgotten about? Well, Jesus, why are we going to Nain? I, nobody goes to Nain. Can I tell you that what you're walking through right now, God can and will make it beautiful? He will. Why? You say, well, Pastor, why? God has come to help His people. Stand with me this morning. My last one is... Simple. Everybody say simple. Sometimes I think we complicate this. I think we complicate who God is. And I think we complicate God's desire to help us. I think we complicate His heart and we don't often see it. I think we complicate the gospel. I do. You say, boy, I've been coming here for a couple of years and it seems like you keep things pretty simple. I do. Because I've found in my own life that the, sometimes just the simpler I can make it. Because when I read my Gospels and I see miracles and I see Jesus talk about how He left the 99 to go after the one, yeah. like, wow, what a God. When I see that Jesus would walk eight hours through dust and dirt to do one thing for one woman that the, Holy, the Heavenly Father said, I see her and I desire to come and help her. In John 15, we're given the key to spiritual life. It's key. And it simply says that if I am in you and you are in me, you will abide in the vine. You'll stay. So I say simple because... The times that we feel like we should stray, God's called us to stay. Amen? There's times that we feel like, well, I've got to go find some other big revelation. Can I tell you what spiritual success is when you're in a difficult time? Is to stay in the vine. Yes. The picture that God painted for us of who He is was a shepherd, was a tire-eyed father waiting for the son, the prodigal, to come home was a, a farmer or somebody who deals with vineyards that lovingly, listen to me, lovingly comes along and looks at the, the, the vine and begins to remove things that didn't belong. Why would he do that? It seems like, boy, I mean, I've gone through pruning seasons in my life. Where I'm like, Lord, there ain't nothing left. I'm completely pruned down. But as a horticulturalist for years of my life, I understood that even though a branch may look like it's good and it had leaves on it, it needed to be pruned off for future fruitfulness. Because the branch wasn't growing in the right direction. And as a horticulturalist that worked this for years, I could see where a branch was going to be later. 
and said to myself, if that grows straight up, it's going to affect all these branches up here, and I need to take it off now so that later there can be better fruitfulness. In church, the season that some of you may be walking through and the picture that this paints of our God is so beautiful that God would show up, and even in the midst of difficulty, sorrow, and, and hard circumstances, and God is with his people. So we need to understand this about God very simply, that the positive images of God that is shown is a, 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 a shepherd, a father that's looking for the return, is a horticulturalist that goes in and lovingly removes things from our life. So in the season you're in, you may have some things being removed from your life. Can I tell you, just stay in him. You don't know where the business is going. You don't know where the family is headed. You, you have a lot of unknowns maybe here this morning. Just stay in Jesus because we know from Scripture that God has our best interest at heart. Amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes this morning as I close? I want to ask this question. And I, I, I think the word prodigal has come up two or three times now. I think my sister is right on it. I think there's some people here that... Number one, you've had some wrong understanding about God. You've, you've thought God is just there to ruin your good time. You thought God is just there to, 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 to get you when you step out of line. Can I tell you, there's nothing further from the truth. Now, if you're not in Christ, let me tell you the, the hard, honest truth this morning. If you don't know him, you're only on your way to one place, and that's called hell. If you don't know him, if you haven't, invited him to wash away your sin and begun that relationship. And sometimes we even put our relationship with God on our own shoulders. Can I tell you, all you have to do is stay in him. Enjoy the fruitfulness that he brings to the circumstances of your life. And listen to me, enjoy him. Some of you have gotten caught up in pornography and drugs and addiction and everything else. Because you've never found the one that your soul will satisfy. And the only thing that you'll ever be satisfied with is not more money and more success or anything of this world. But it is only in Him. And I said I'm going to keep it simple. Let me tell you how simple it is. Whomsoever shall call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's how simple. You, you say, Jesus, I believe in you. I ask you to, to, to wash my sin away and to begin a fresh slate, a new start with you, and then you begin to allow him to grow something beautiful in your life. So do we have any prodigals here? Bow your heads. Do we have any people who just say, I just need to come back to Jesus? Would you shoot your hand up right there? Just acknowledge it before him. If you're new, we don't embarrass you. This is between you and God, not you and a pastor or you and a church. This is you and God right now. This is him in this room. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Let me ask this, you, 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 you walked with Jesus and you got out and you understood that the enemy tore your life up and today you're coming back. Is there anybody here that just says, hey, I need to call upon the name of the Lord and give my life over to him? Would you shoot your hand up? Amen, 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 amen. Thank you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, you're working in this room, God. You're working in this room. And listen, this isn't a prayer out of a routine. This is, it, it, it says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart. Many of you have believed Jesus here, but Jesus is trying to get in here. Because that's what's going to make the difference is Him here in your heart. So as you pray this, you pray it in faith and you believe that Jesus is wiping the slate clean this morning. That you're coming home to the arms of the Heavenly Father. That's who He is. Let's pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father. We thank you today 
that you have made known the way of salvation. I come to you today as a sinner who needs to ask you to forgive me. So, Father, forgive me. Father, wash me clean. Jesus, come into my heart and change my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's angels rejoicing right now. And you who raised your hand, I want you to know something. You're welcome to join this family. If you don't, there's wonderful churches in our area. Get plugged into a church. Because we're never meant to walk this alone. Amen. Just lift your hands this morning. I I want to bless you and I want to ask the Holy Spirit to strengthen us in our community. Let's all pray together in agreement that God would continue to help us. God has come to help his people. Amen. So, Father, in Jesus' name, I bless Christian Center Church this morning. Father, I bless our visitors this morning. God, I pray that they would be blessed as they've come in and they would be blessed as they go. That, God, you would keep your hand of loving protection upon each one of us, God. Father, as we continue to to go out into our community and love on people, would you anoint us with the precious Holy Spirit? Father, with the anointing of love and compassion, Father, just fill us like it did you, Jesus, so that we can see the supernatural power of God manifest in our community, God. Father, I pray strength over those who have cleaned up businesses, who have gutted homes, who have carried food, God. Let us be filled today, Father, with the goodness of your kingdom, the Holy Spirit in our hearts and lives that gives us supernatural power, Father, today. God, we pray over and for our community, and we, God, believe that you're going to bring something good out of something difficult, Father, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen, amen. amen. Leah, you got anything? You got anything? No. Oh, guys, guys, wait, wait. Everybody look this way real quick. Come here, Leah. I did mention, and, 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 and just to tell you all, I got severely scolded when I got home last week. For the things that I said. That's why I didn't tell many jokes this morning. And so pastor's got a new filter and it's called Leah. We are going to start something new next week. First of all, our kids ministry is growing, growing, growing. We have 42 kids upstairs. And we have a lot of youth coming. We have a lot of youth coming on Sunday morning. So we just feel like it's time to kind of step back and re- evaluate everything starting next week we're going to divide some of our kids classes upstairs because we have like 17 kids four Sundays in a row in one class the kids are having to sit on the floor all that kind of stuff so we're going to work on all that this week I need more teachers for upstairs we're now going to have to have at least four or five teachers upstairs every Sunday which is a stretch already to have two or three so if you can teach upstairs and then our youth group our heart right now is for the next generation and for the young people we I forgot to announce we have a young adults bible study coming up the 17th that's ages 18 through 35 they've been having a great time they meet about once a month i know and they do some other activities too but we are going to provide them a meal this time on the 17th and we're going to have child care so it's for people who are married or single kids no kids whatever that's a great time for that age group but our youth group we meet on sunday mornings we've decided that's when most youth come we still meet on wednesday nights at seven we'll continue to do that i mean at 6 30 we'll continue to have our youth service on wednesday nights but on sunday morning we feel the need to split the middle school and the high school so we are starting next sunday we're going to have a middle school bible study and we're going to have a high school bible study that way they can have the different subjects that apply to that age group they can get to know the kids in their age group more we have a great youth team 
team. We've met with them. We have several couples that are going to help us. We are going to have just, we're getting some couches and things set up for them, some coffee spots and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be an intimate time of Bible study because these kids need to grow and they're hungry for Bible study. My own kids say it. They're tired of just activities and coming out to play volleyball or whatever. They want to learn something if they come. They're hungry. I've been driving to all kinds of churches for service because they're hungry. They want to hear about Jesus. They want a Bible study that is for them. So starting next Sunday, youth, and you don't have to go. It's optional if you'd rather stay in here. But if you want to go after worship, we're going to start having a middle school group and a high school group. God bless you all. Go in the name of the Lord. Amen.